Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. It's a Sunday night show with a very special guest. I think the last Sunday night show we did, David was our guest also. So uh, David Essel is here with us again, and um, he's going to be talking to us tonight about chaos in relationships. And I love this question. Am I codependent? Well, we're going to find out. So if you're asking yourself that or if you're wondering what in the heck that means, we're going to find out. But um Thanks, thanks everybody for tuning in. It looks like there's a pretty good audience listening. So um, I know all of you guys like to type while you're listening, or you know, look at other sites, open up a new tab, look at his website, all that good stuff while you're while we're here. Um, so if you are, we have a chat room open, which some people use, some people don't. But um, the website is davidessel.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-E-S-S-E-L.com. Or um, I don't know if this is a new one, David. Tell me, it's talkdavid.com. Is that new for you? Hi, David. <laughs> no, you know what, you know what, Elizabeth. Hey, it's great to be with you again. You and I Hi. own Sunday nights. We own the <laughs> Sunday so. night airwaves. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Um, I, so talk, I, I talkdavid.com is the other one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're actually they're both the same site. And what we did was years ago. When I started on radio, we said, you know what, we've got to have a, a, a website address that is easy for people to remember. DavidEssel.com is kind of more challenging, but TalkDavid.com is really simple. So they're the same website. And so when people go to TalkDavid.com, they can get everything they need in life, and they never have to look at another website again, Elizabeth. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, exactly. Except for mine. Go to Best Ever You, too. But uh, oh, <laughs> BestEverYou.com, too. Yeah. You got to go to mine, too. No, um, I was going to ask you when, you, when people land on your website, and we'll get to the topic here in a minute, but when people go to your website, what do you hope they do most? Aside from well, never leaving. You know, yeah, we're never let, exactly just just camp out. We have tents, we have water. You, there's there's a commissary. You can buy food. Um, no, but but the the website is really about giving people hope. It's like all of my work is about giving hope. So when they go there, you know they can get chapter one of our number one best selling book for free. They can get six videos on how to become financially free in life. Um, Eight hundred plus YouTube videos. I mean, there's so much stuff that's absolutely free that they can partake of when they're at the site. And then, of course, if they want to do one-on-one work, well, we kick butt and we have for 27 years now. Yeah. Yeah, I love – one of the things I love most about your website is when I go there, I don't feel like I'm getting roped into, like, some funky loop where eventually you're going to ask me for, like, $10 million <laughs> for something or whatever. <laughs> you know those websites where you're just like, okay, what does he really want? <laughs> you know? And uh, – Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's straightforward, and you can trust it. Absolutely. Well, it, it reminds me of those, and I'm, I know they're still around on certain people's websites, but do you remember years ago the rage were those sales pages that went on for like 17 miles? And, yeah. And, and you, you, you'd be reading about this incredible program or product or something, and you're reading for freaking three days, you know, and then at the very bottom it says, 
and only four ninety five a month. That's four hundred and ninety five dollars a month. And you too can have everything you just spent a month reading. You know, when I look at those things, I go, oh my gosh. So yeah. you know, from the, from the very beginning, our first website, Elizabeth, was built in nineteen ninety five. And from then until today, even though, you know, the, the, the quotes have changed and programs have changed, but the process has never changed. You know, the number one goal that we have when people come to the site is to get free information. That's number one. And when they go there, they're going to see a thousand different ways that they can get free stuff. And then if you want more help, of course, we're available. Yeah, perfect. So if for anybody who's listening who isn't familiar with David, which uh, I can't imagine that, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him. He's a master teacher, author, storyteller, radio and TV host. He's been on Jenny McCarthy's show. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, not a lot of people can say that. That's a big deal. Um, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> I wanted to read this on air. You're a little kid in a man's body. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> and I see that when you stick your toes in the sand and take a picture of them. Cracks me up. Every time I see your feet on a beach, I'm like, you're spoiled. Um, he's an adjunct <laughs> professor, a seeker, a finder, an addiction recovery coach, a speaker, and an all-faith minister, and all-faiths minister. I hope I said that right. Um, and you marvel at the beauty of life and the life that God has blessed you with, and then uh, there are your websites again. So we love having you on, and we're going to talk about, we decided tonight to give you guys a show like if you're listening on your treadmill or taking a walk up the street, you could get uh, some wisdom and some true self-help, something you could listen to, a takeaway, a show where you could replay it and go, oh, I heard that, and this is going to actually help my life. Um, so we're going to talk tonight about chaos in relationships, and then um, am I codependent? And he'll explain what that means. But I think chaos in relationships sums it up, don't you, David? <laughs> chaos oh my in gosh. relationships. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, Elizabeth. As for, for I mentioned, you know, I've been in this industry 37 years, but for the past 27 years as a counselor and a life coach, most of our work is so much drilled um, about helping people to find happiness and joy. And, of course, where we often look for it is within our personal relationships. And because we put so much pressure on ourselves and others to fulfill that wish of love and joy that we end up many times staying in chaos and drama, not even realizing that we maybe even are the main proprietor of chaos and drama, but so that we don't have to look within, we continue to point the finger. And if my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or my wife would just do this, if they would just do that. And all of that leads to ongoing chaos and drama. There, there was, um, it was actually, it was Jenny McCarthy's show. We're going back on her show for the fourth time, which is unheard of. <laughs> Um, in, awesome. in about 30 days, she's invited us back on. And the last time we were on, we were talking about the percentage of couples in the United States of America. Now, this is not a study, but this is a compilation of our work for 27 years. She said, David, you've been doing counseling for 27 years. What percentage of couples in the USA would you say are in a really healthy relationship, pretty much free of the chaos and drama that seems to be around love? And it was a great question. And we narrowed it down to a percentage. Do you have any idea what that percentage might be, Elizabeth? I don't know. I, you know, I've been married for 18 years, and we're pretty darn happy. So I, 
I two two percent five percent zero percent I don't know it's got to be pretty it I bet that's I bet it's I don't know my parents have been married forever um I think it just depends on like what kind of background you come from and who your examples are and things like that so uh, to answer your question bluntly I have absolutely no idea it's probably pretty darn low I would think because of the divorce rate so darn high well that's exactly it you know and and, and, and before I give you the percentage, let me say something else that's really crucial. Length of time in a marriage or a relationship has, matter, nothing to, yep. has nothing to do with happiness, has nothing yep. at all to do with it. You know, so, so for all the people who love to parade around and say, well, we've been together 30 years or we've been together 20 years or we've been together 60 years, there's a <laughs> They might just suck. Yeah, many of those relationships, when they Suck. look in the mirror, there's there's addiction, there's passive-aggressive yeah. crap going on, there's gossip behind our partner's back, there's emotional yeah. affairs, there's physical affairs. Oh, my God, please. So yeah. I say that because I want this country to wake up. Your length of service, I call it, your length of service <laughs> with your partner has nothing to do with if it's good. Now, I pray through our conversation tonight and all the work that you do and all the work that I do, that we can lift this percentage up. But it takes someone who wants to be very humble, very vulnerable, ask for help. If you're in a relationship and it sucks, the odds of you two carrying it off and improving it on your own are about zero. Yeah. That's being married, being married for 18 years is not something you like. I don't go. Oh, I've been married for eighteen years. Everything's fine. We we work at. You know what I mean? And not work at it in the sense of like this sucks, but we're very we're like super communicating and super. And at least we've got a pretty good thing going. But you know, I know that's very rare. And that's not, I, I would tell you if it sucked. <laughs> I feel like no, it sucks. Because <laughs> I'd be honest, but no, we're, we're good. Um, and you know, and but it takes a lot of work. But you know, I know. Um, I, I got to tell you this. I was in Walmart the other day. Yep. I was in Walmart and I was in the card section and there were these two people and I was picking out a card for something. I can't remember what it was, but the lady kind of moved me over and she's like, I, I got to pick out a card here. And um, the husband's like, hurry up Velma or whatever her name was. And they started bickering and on and on and on and on and on. I'm like, Oh my God. And she's like, well, honey, we've been married for 54 years. And I'm like, well, God, you should have ended it like 52 ago because you guys are awful know. you know <laughs> i just it, was like it, oh my god <laughs> elizabeth and that's more common than we would maybe know or want to believe the oh. but the percentage of couples in this country that have really healthy relationships it's around 20 percent that's pretty um, good that's higher than i that's higher yeah. than i thought <laughs> yeah yeah and and with that, you know, that doesn't mean that in those relationships there isn't bickering and it doesn't mean people don't get upset and it doesn't mean no one ever goes to bed angry. Whoever came up with that nonsense, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, <laughs> you know, because a lot, of, a, a lot of times it's okay to go to bed angry, upset, frustrated. That's part of the human condition. To shut off an emotion because some book said you should never go to bed angry is ridiculous to me. Um, I'm not telling people, encourage people to go to bed fighting. <laughs> I'm not saying that, 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 that you, you, know, you need to every once in a while rock the boat. But, hey, listen, you know, there are some emotions that, and, and, and we're going to get to codependency in a minute or two, but yeah. 
you know, there are some emotions that if you don't process and feel and allow that time, if it's 24 hours or 48 hours to happen, then you're submerging the reality of what you're feeling so that you can go to bed with a fake happiness. But that hasn't done anything to the resentment, the anger, the rage, the disappointment, the hurt, the shame, the sadness. Right. So I could say, you know, what, what, you know, I'll give me an example. I just started working with this new couple, and um, and they've been together for I think it's four or five years, and they're having a lot of communication battles. They're getting very upset with each other. They're shutting down. They're running away. There's all kinds of ways to run away. But but one of the things that the woman said to me is, I said, tell me how you act out, and she said, well, I'm the aggressor. So the minute something comes up and I feel fearful, I attack. Like, that's my first mode of operandi. And, of course, she learned it from watching mom and dad. That's where most of us pick up our relationship skills, at least some of them. And so I gave them an exercise. And they're coming in again this week, and we're going to find out how they did. When they get triggered, the exercise is to go to the point where that you know there's no breakthrough. Like, both people are extremely stubborn, right? So when, when you say you're talking about a topic and you give your point of view and your partner gives their point of view and you give yours and they give theirs and you're stonewalled, There's no, no one's moving, no one's budging, shut the hell up. Here's step one. <laughs> shut the hell up. <laughs> step two, go find a quiet place when this is possible and write about what you're feeling. Write about your frustration. Write about your anger. Write about your hurt, whatever it is. After you write about it, put it in a paragraph that you can give to them. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm trying to share with you. I don't think you're hearing me. I don't know how else to say it. But here's something fascinating. When you take the time to process and write instead of continuing to badger each other, you're slowing the process down. There might be a revelation in this 10-minute period of writing that you go, holy crap, maybe I have a role here. But when you share in writing what you're feeling, there's no emotion that's going to push your partner on the defensive because they're reading words. Now, they still make it defensive, but there's nowhere near the defensiveness that normally comes out when you're reading something versus listening to your partner's tone of voice, their body language, and, and, Elizabeth, over the years, we've used that exercise with so many couples, and it works magically if you're willing to do the work. That's smart, actually. That's really smart, actually. We, we have something kind of like that um, that we've done. But that's, that's, a, that's things, because sometimes what triggers people is just the eye expression or the tone or the words yeah. or the, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's funny. We have a we have a rule, and that's if you're going to fight, you're going to fight naked. <laughs> oh God, that is that that one works beautifully as well. <laughs> you're going to fight. You want to pick a fight? You're going to pick it naked. <laughs> it's like I got something to tell you. You do, huh? Okay. <laughs> Hilarious. That, I that's love my it. little joke. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So let's go. Let's go through these questions that we kind of came up with for the show to kind of give it a flow here. And I'm curious why you start. Why we're just going to start with this one? This one came from, um, I can't remember who this came from, but I think we should start with it, and we'll just see where we go with it. Does dating suck? That's a really interesting question. Does dating suck? 
<laughs> and are there health benefits to being single and why? Huh. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this, that, you know, most of our single people probably listening, there's a few, a very small percentage that thinks dating is an absolute blast. Most people think it really sucks for the following reasons, especially if you're doing like online dating sites, the match.coms and all that stuff. The reason why over the years that people really, I mean, a huge percentage of people that we work with come in because of the fact they're just, as a matter of fact, I work with a woman out of Germany and one out of Australia that are so, that they're both so fed up. They think, and, and everyone thinks that, you know, the, that there are great guys in America, but there's not in Australia and vice versa. You know, it's like everyone thinks no matter where they're living, if they just lived in somewhere else, the guys or the girls must, must be nicer. But here's the problem, Elizabeth. Over the years, there's been so many people that scam others via pictures that are 10 years old, paragraphs that aren't real. You know, guys write what they think women want to hear. Women oftentimes write what guys want to hear. A, a shocker that I will share, and everyone who has a dating profile out there, go look at your profile after I tell you this. If in your profile or you're, you're looking at someone's profile and you see these words, I don't do drama and chaos. Run for the freaking hills. Run. <laughs> that means stay right for it. Who, you know what? Anyone who states that is usually filled with chaos and drama. And, and, and now, right now, I can imagine some of our listeners going, I don't like this guy. <laughs> you know, but it's the <laughs> truth. Because, yeah. and this is why it's the truth. A normal person who doesn't do chaos and drama wouldn't put something so ridiculous because who does, I mean, have you ever seen a profile? I don't know if you have friends that are in the dating world that where someone starts off, I just got to be honest with you. I'm filled with chaos and drama. You, you know, there's, there's no one that writes that. So someone who writes, don't, they're usually the facilitators of chaos and drama. So, That'd be the best so, profile ever. I'm filled with chaos and drama. Come on, date me. <laughs> I know, really. Epic. You know. That'd probably be the most. Okay, let me try. Anyway, you know, that's funny. No, I, I actually have absolutely no experience with online dating profiles or anything. So I'm learning as we go here. Uh, I, I just have been married for so long that it's a new world for me like that. So I don't understand it. Um, and I would, I don't know that I would trust that. To me, it's such a like a dangerous place to go fishing online for people and then meeting somebody you met online in person. I don't think that would be very bright. I don't know. Well, I don't, you know, it's it, it, scary it's so to me. Common. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and Elizabeth, if, if, if you were single right now, you know, you have basically two options. Well, you, you've probably got three options. You know, one is online dating. Two would be the workplace um, or three would be through friends. Right. And they're, they're really, you know, like years ago, the big dating thing was bars, you know, like you'd go out. I mean, that was just, and still, some people still do it. But I mean, that's where dating someone from a bar is a hundred thousand times worse than an online dating service. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're walking into an environment, which is first of all, not healthy, you know, for most people. Number two is that you, you, you don't really know. You can't tell when you've had a couple of drinks and someone else has a couple of drinks what really is going on. There's no emotional availability there. So I, you know, I'm not against online dating. Um, we have a program. We teach people how to get out of this dating sucks mentality 
mm-hmm. and it's at our website, talkdavid.com. And if you scroll down the page, just look for Do You Need Help With Relationships? Click on that, and we've got a whole page dedicated to this. But if you know how to write a correct profile, if you know how to read incorrect profiles, if you don't play the games that many people do, like putting up pictures from 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 20 pounds heavier or whatever it might be, if you work in the world of reality, which is what we teach, it can be a positive experience. Um, but there, there aren't many options that people can go to today who are single. I mean, you could go to church functions. You could go to professional functions. But really, the, I think the online thing is here forever. You know, now there's like, I don't know, 25 or 30 dating apps that oh, are wow. like Tinder and, and Bumble and all these other ones um, that they're not even online anymore. It's just all app work. So it's here to stay, and you've got to learn how to do it right and how to do it safely. Smart. Are there, do you think there's any health benefits to being single? Oh, my God, there's a billion. Oh, there's, there's a million benefits to being single. And number one is, and this is the most important thing for our single friends to write this down, when you're single, look for what didn't work in your previous relationships, number one. Number two, write about what errors you've made. You know, have you said, I love you too quickly? Have you had sex too quickly? Have you stayed in relationships much like we were talking about earlier, you know, much longer than you should have. Like when people are single, the healthiest thing they can do is to evaluate their past failures, looking at what the role of their past partners were, also looking at their own roles so that they're not repeating them. So that's a huge benefit of being single. You know, a lot of people when they're single, Elizabeth, they finally start to take care of their bodies. You know, they because they want to be attractive, maybe they start going to the gym. Maybe they start taking care of themselves in other ways. So that's a huge benefit of being single. It's like, take this time for you. Um, another benefit is that a lot of people, when they get in relationships, they drop their friends. They drop their social activities, their hobbies. So if you're single right now, take advantage of this time to recreate great friendships, great hobbies, and just make this mental note that when you get into that next relationship, do not allow it to consume your life as maybe you have in the past. Hmm. Do you, um, what was I going to ask about being single? I was going to, it's been so long since I've been single, David. I'm trying to think of something to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, um, do, do you think it's good to be – I guess my question is, do you think it's good to be single at any age? Because some people oh, get to the well, point where me, they're like, oh, I'm 45 and I've never been married or whatever. I mean, are there are – there, does it matter? I mean, as far as health benefits, does it matter or the age? Well, here's, here's – I'll tell you an interesting story with a client. In 2000, a woman came to me and she was 45 years of age. It's so funny you said 45. She was 45 years of age and she said, you know what, David – I'm going to be an old cat woman or something. Uh, I, I haven't been in a, in a healthy relationship in like eight years. And could you work with me? So we worked really hard together. I think we worked together about six or eight months. And then she met this awesome guy. And I never heard from her again. So that was 2000, 17 years ago. A year ago, she contacted me. 
And she said, hey, you know what? I'm going into a new transition in life. I'm, let's see, 45, 55, 60, 61. And she said, and I'm, I'm a little confused. And friends and family are giving me certain advice about my current dating life. And I don't know what I want to do. So we started working together again. And she said the relationship when I left her, she left me, went on strong for five years. And then they parted on really good terms. And so she said then since then, she hasn't really, she dated a little bit here and there, but really hasn't done much. And she's been coming closer to thinking about retirement. She's 61. And she wasn't really quite sure if she wanted to go back into the world. You know, all of her friends are saying, you don't want to die alone. You better have a partner. And her family's pushing her. But here's something interesting. We went through about four months, Elizabeth, of all these different writing exercises, her beliefs, her wants, her needs, not societies, throw that stuff out the window. Easier said than done, but we really have to. And do you know that after four months, she came to this conclusion? She said, you know, David, this has been so enlightening. I right now am committing the rest of my life to myself, my volunteer work, to travel as I retire. I love traveling on my own. I love traveling with groups. I have a blast. I don't need, and I don't think I want to go down that path again. I'm so at peace and so happy. Now, the profound thing about this is that in our society, Elizabeth, especially women get beaten up with this. Not so much men, but women do. There's so much pressure to be in love if you're a woman. There's so much pressure to be in relationship if you're a woman. From a guy's perspective, it's about a tenth of the pressure that a woman is. So she had to go against all of her friends badgering her, her parents, and, and, and you know, her parents are still alive, and they're saying, don't you want to find a great guy? She came to the conclusion, and it took several months of doing introspective work, that she's great, and she's moving forward. Now, that takes a very strong person to break away from societal's goals for us and figure out what our own are. So I think you can be incredibly healthy and happy single if that's what you choose. And that is, um, we're, that's, I'm, I haven't even brought kids into the picture yet at all. Um, you know, single with children complicates things. Well, you know, it maybe, can. Maybe not, sure. yeah. Yeah, but, but, but you know what? Let me say this to you because, again, you know, working in the world of counseling, so many people still buy into that ridiculous notion that it's better for kids to be with a mom and a dad than it is for them to be in a household where there's only one and they have to share time. And that is absolute insanity. Many times, more than 50% of the time, it's healthier for the mom and dad to not have their negative energy beating on each other where the kids are watching this. And remember right. this, if, if a mom and dad stay together and they don't like each other and they don't respect each other and they either do the cold shoulder stuff all the time or they argue and fight, whatever they're doing, you are teaching your children what love looks like. Your children are being raised in an environment where they're going to look for a partner that treats them like crap because that's what they saw growing up. Kids don't have a filter where they can say, you know what, I'm not going to be like that. Some do, 
but most don't. And all of a sudden, as they become 16, 17, 18, they start to look for someone who represents what they saw. Now, this is done on a subconscious level, Elizabeth. You know, kids, 16, 17, 18, 25-year-olds don't go, you know, my dad treated my mom like crap, and I want to find a guy to treat me like crap. Well, of course, we don't consciously think that, but we do repeat the household that we're raised in, many of the traits, we just take them. And so I say to people, please don't buy into that old nonsense that it's better for them to have two parents in the house than separate if those two parents can't figure out how to live together with respect. Right. No, I I couldn't agree with you more there for sure. Um, What's your love scale? What's that mean? Oh, a love scale. Oh we just got a food God. scale in here today. I'm curious what a love scale is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and I'll tell you how this came about. A number of years ago, this woman came in and she said, David, I don't know what's wrong with my relationship. I love this man more than any other man I've ever loved in my life. And I said, wow, this is starting out interesting. Go ahead and tell me what's going on. And she said, well, but no matter what I do, He's frustrated with me. He's upset. And I tell him I love him more than anyone else. As we work together, Elizabeth, what, and, and she was raised in one of these extremely dysfunctional households as a child. It meant nothing to her with her partner to break her word every couple of days. It would mean nothing to her because she saw her mom doing this growing up to take money from her partner, not tell him. And then when he found money missing, she would always deny it. And then eventually she'd get caught. And so, you know, she's starting to tell me all these things, you know. And I said, wow, do you think that's healthy love? And she said, David, I told you before, I love this man more than anyone I've ever met. Now, this woman was in her 40s. It wasn't like she was 20. And, you know, we looked at her, her, her relationship history. It had been absolute all hell, just crap. So I said to her, you know, like, you may love this person, but it's a highly dysfunctional form of love. So I want to ask you to do this. When you're in here, you can choose whatever you want to do outside world. But when you're with me, I want you to start saying, I love this man in a very dysfunctional way. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't sound like he's loving her quite as much. No, no. And as a matter of fact, as the story goes on, it gets really fascinating because she eventually brought him into the office and, and that was the death knell for the relationship. But so she still wasn't. Oh God, she I go, brought I him into the I'm... office with you, but that was a fun. Ah. I know, I know, you know. So <laughs> still wasn't getting it. So I said, you know, I'm going to come up with a love scale for you. So I drew it out in front of her and I put love on a scale of one to 10. 10 is unconditional love outrageously rare between a partner, two men, two women, a man and a woman, outrageously rare. Everyone wants it. It's not around very much. It's more common to see unconditional love between a parent and a child than between two adults. Right. It's common to see unconditional love between uh, a dog and its owner versus two adults. And I mean this. (laughs) I know. You know, so 10 is like... It is, it is. It's sad and true. But, you know, 10 unconditional love is outrageously rare. I'm not saying don't shoot for it, but, you know, very few people are going to get it. Now, one at the other end 
is physical and emotional abuse on a daily, weekly basis, and that is love. You know, I, I work, I actually have trained counselors at um, women's centers, shelters, and when I go in, then they'll always bring a couple of the women in, and when you ask a woman who's been through extreme abuse, how many times have you returned to this person or someone like them, oh, God, the pattern has been going on for years. And I'll say, why do you return? And they'll say, how can you not go back to someone who you love so much? And so then we said, okay, so there's a form of love, outrageously dysfunctional, extreme physical and or emotional abuse. And as we move up the scale, we get to a five. Now, five is called deep friendship abiding love. That means that to even start to get into the healthy range of love, you must like your partner. And, and Elizabeth, to a lot of people, they go, oh, my God, that's nothing. Well, if you like someone and they're a really good friend of yours, you wouldn't screw them over, lie to them, talk behind their backs, steal. So anything that has to do with that kind of nonsense in love, which is a high percentage of love relationships, you're under a five. So five starts the pathway where that we respect the person we're with. If you respect them, you don't lie. You don't, you know, go through omissions. Well, he didn't ask me if I spent more than I was supposed to, so I won't tell him. That's not being respectful. So anything at above a five or above means that you're open, you're honest, you're respectful, you're friends, and then, of course, the scale gets better. But as I created the scale and I had the numbers in front of her with the explanation of every number and I had this woman in the office and I said, now, you go ahead and you circle the number that you love this guy at. And she was at a three. She was honest for the first time in her life. And even though she perceived she loved him more than anyone else, she did in her mind but it was an incredibly dysfunctional form of love. But that's all she ever saw growing up, Elizabeth. So she was just repeating what she saw her mom do to her dad. She never trusted men. She didn't necessarily like men. And this guy was just number 27 in the lineup. And when he came into the office and I went through the scale with him, he looked at her and he said, and you know that you're at a three with me? And she said, I have to admit that I am. And he said, is there anything else that you want to tell me right now? And she said, well, I didn't tell you the truth about where that money went last week. And that was the end of the relationship. Now, hmm. if people want to be brutally honest, you've got to look at this. And he kept coming back in and working with me because the very first thing he said when he sat down with me is he goes, why would I stay with someone that treated me like crap? And I said, yeah. where are you on the scale? You know, I said, see, if, if he was at a, and he understood this and he got it right away. He said, if I was a, at a healthy scale of love, David, I probably wouldn't have stayed more than a month with her, would I? I said, you nailed it. So if you stayed for any length of time, it's either because you're a codependent knight on the white horse saving her, which he was, which is not a healthy form of love. So you equaled her in a slightly different way, in dysfunctional love. Elizabeth, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, somebody just typed in, they want, 
they want to know what a seven and eight and nine are. <laughs> Just like, okay, <laughs> I'll ask. I'll go there. Yeah, yeah. What What are the other well, well, What are the other things? Yeah. So when when you go from like five is that you know like I respect you, um, I do love you, and I do respect you. It's kind of that love. Five is kind of that. You know, we've been friends for a while, and we're starting to feel maybe some romantic feelings for the first time. Like, that would be a five. You know, we've known each other for a while. We trust each other. We've never lied to each other. We treat each other with respect. So when you go to six, six is the type of thing where, you know, someone says, um, oh, God, you know what? When, when it turns spring again, I really want to plant geraniums because it reminds me of my grandmother, and I love it. So in the sixth category, the partner remembers that. And when it comes to the spring, all of a sudden one day they come home with these pots of geranium and the individual goes, I can't believe you remembered that. Like that would be a six. Mm -hmm. Seven going up the scale would be an individual that says, what are your dreams? I want to support you in your dreams. Sevens are kind of selfless, you know, like, like they're very interested in their own success and their own health and their own achievement of goals but they're just as interested in their partners and they do things. So they'll say, Hey, I'm a seven. You're a seven. I know you've had goals to go back to school. How can I help you accomplish that? Is there something I could do in just some small way to make that possible? Your reality. Do you want me to, to go to the schools with you to go to the night schools and the interview the, the, the teachers and see if this is the right fit? Like that's a seven. Absolutely right. beautiful. Then eight, we become even more, and you can just imagine, eight, nine, and ten are even more selfless. Um, a great story I tell of a nine, here's a great nine story. So there was a woman that came in, God, this is 20 years ago now. Um, she was young, late 20s, early 30s, had never been in a loving relationship, wanted it really bad. But she said to me on the very first day, and this was via a Skype session, she said, because I've never had it, I don't even know what I'm looking for, David. Elizabeth was this great revelation by her. You know, she wanted to fall in love. She, she'd been in love, but not like at the depth she wanted. So I said, well, this is what I want you to do for your homework assignments. I want you to go home, and I want you to think about one couple that you've met in your life that are at an eight or a nine that really are rocking it in love. And her first answer was, David, I, I don't know anyone. I said, well, just go think about it. And ask friends, ask family members. And so she went home, comes back the next week, and she said, you know, that very day driving home, I got it. It's my grandmother and grandfather. They've been married over 65 years. They have the most gentle and kind relationship. She said, I think they're probably a nine. So I said, okay, go and interview. Here's your second assignment. Go interview your grand grandmother and grandfather. And if people are listening and their grandmother is dead, but their grandfather's alive, vice versa, see if you can interview one of them. If not, someone that knows them well. And I said, go ask them what makes their relationship so magical. And this, something interesting happened, Elizabeth. She went to the grandmother, and the grandmother poo-pooed her and said, oh, your grandfather's in charge of that. I don't know what he'll say. I, I don't really have any comment. I love him dearly. Our relationship is amazing, but he's the one that knows what he's doing. <laughs> which I thought was really cute. And she punted. So she says, <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, she did. She, <laughs> That's right. She punted. That's so cute. So 
she goes to the grandfather, and the grandfather goes, oh, sit down. It's really simple. And so she sits down, and she says, what's so simple about having deep love? And he goes, well, the way I did it worked really well, hasn't it? And she said, yeah. And he goes, so number one, don't make it complicated. He said, number two, this is what I did. On the day after that we were married, that was the first time that we slept overnight with each other in one bed. I woke up in the morning and your grandmother was still sleeping. I put my feet on the floor and I said this prayer. And I've said the same prayer 365 days for 66 years. Dear God, allow me to do more for my wife today than she could ever imagine possible. Amen. And then, honey, I got up and did it. I got up and did something beautiful for her every day. It may have been really simple and small, but it was seven days a week, 365 days. And that is what it takes to create a deep abiding love. Awesome. And that's my Elizabeth, husband. That's exactly my husband right there. That's what he does. Is it really? So, yeah, I'm married to a guy just like that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's a very, perfect. very, very sweet person. Um, but sometimes what it makes you feel like those, you can't match the, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to, um, if, if you, you have to put your own feet on the ground and say the same thing back. <laughs> so if it does, you know what I mean? Sometimes it, it just, that's, that's a more difficult one for me, probably because I'm probably the little more chaotic one in the relationship. I, I'm, I'm not the drama for sure, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more like busy, 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 you know, kind of thing. And so um, I have to really stop and be, I stop and I have, I probably have more days where I'm more mindful than, do you know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll go for a little bit and then I'll have a peace, a rest day where I'm just like, okay, it's peaceful, you know, kind of thing. That's kind of always been that way. I don't know if that makes sense or not. And I, I, as I've grown older though, I have a daily practice, but in the, probably in the beginning of the relationship, I was not that person. I was more chaotic. Well, and you know, what's, what's interesting about what you just said, you know, there's everyone gives and receives love a little differently. Yeah, and and you guys have been together long enough, and he's fulfilled, and you're fulfilled, which means that the way, what you do for him doesn't have to be identical to right. what he does for. But you're doing something, and if you asked him, he might be able to put his finger on it. Like I'll give you an example. So you know when we talk about someone that does like this grandfather or, or your husband that does something nice for someone every day those people are totally tuned in to what's called acts of service. So their love, the way they give love is by being of service. Now, someone else's um, way that they love could be positive affirmation. So they may not do service, but maybe they say, I love you more than the other person, or maybe they say it first, or, you know, like there's all kinds of different things. Like some people are, they're, the way that they, they give is, is through a gift. Now, a gift could be making someone's lunch. Yeah. So, you know, we, we all do something differently, and you don't have to do the same thing. Like, just as an example, you sound a lot like this grandmother. Like, the grandfather was very solid, secure. This is what I do. The grandmother was the receiver. 
you know, she just yeah. said, you go talk. He's in charge, right? But, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so funny. But you so have to be careful being is. married. What I've learned is you have to be careful being married to somebody who does that because they are hard to give to. Um, so he is very aware of being a very unneedy creature that um, he has to communicate needs. Um, that's what we've learned. Well, you know what? I, I re- let, let me let me tell you an interesting. Years ago, I lived with this woman a long time ago, and we were very opposite. We 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 matched really well in many areas, and then there were several that were really opposite. <clears throat> one of the things that we are very opposite about is that she was not into putting things away. Uh, that's a very kind way of, of saying this. And so <laughs> I, would total slob. <laughs> <laughs> I would come home and every day there would be one or two rooms that were just destroyed. I mean, <laughs> I, I had no Sorry. idea. And I don't know <laughs> this is if, funny because I'm so old, I guess. I think this is hysterical when you actually talk about crap that's happened to you in the past. It's funny to me. I'm oh, sorry. It, oh, yeah. Oh, it, it, it's hilarious, you know. So I come in oh, and, yeah. and, and you know what? I, I, and, and this <laughs> doesn't mean that I would do this with everyone like this that I've dated, but there was something in me that said, let it go. I don't even know oh, what it was. Really? She started apologizing. She would start saying, oh, my God, I totally forgot. I've got laundry all over our bed, I, you know, and, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and you're just getting home, and I know you want to eat and go to bed. And, I, the whole, and I'd walk in, and she's right. The room was destroyed. And, you know, there was, there was something about that, even though I'm a fairly neat person. There was something about that I just decided from the beginning, just let it go. I'm just going to let it go. It's no big deal. The house was clean. It wasn't like the house wasn't clean. It was just totally destroyed every day. <laughs> and so I, I just learned to let it go. Now, the cool thing was, one of the things that, Sorry. that blew my mind <coughs> yeah. is that she would bring lunch to my office three to four days a week. Um, I never asked her to. I think I might ask her once. But she would find a way in her day, because she had a busy day as well, she'd find a way. And, there, and so it worked, you know, because I eat a lot. <laughs> and so, you know, to have, like, lunch at the front desk waiting for me and to get a text saying, you know, your girl just dropped lunch off for you. Wow, it smells great. Like, that was so freaking awesome. And so there were things that other people would never put up with someone that messy. But – there were things that she brought to the relationship that I guess to me made everything else. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. To each his own. I'm going to say to that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't yeah know how to, exactly. I don't know how to go with that. Yeah. You just gotta, you know, that's, those are the choices you make. How long did that relationship last that messy, David? <laughs> I'm going to turn the, gonna turn the questions on you. Really? And that was, yeah. I'm going to guess that wasn't why it ended or was it? Oh, oh, God, no, 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 no. Okay, yeah. No, no, no. I was, you know, if if I could live three years like that, that wasn't going to end it. Um, Yeah. um, But, but, you know, it was, it was things. And and let me go back to this. What you and I are talking realism in love. Yeah. We're not talking Glamour magazine articles. We're not talking, you know, love novels and all this crap. This is just real talk. 
And I think in our society, just like when we wrote the book, you know, that became the bestseller, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will. Right. The reason it went number one, Elizabeth, is because we speak just the truth and we speak very frankly and we don't mess around and we don't try to tell people it's easy. Life is freaking messy. That's what it is. Life is freaking messy. And if you want perfection, stay single. That's the best chance you're going to have if you want perfection. And there's nothing wrong with being single. But if you're going to be in a relationship, understand you're going to have to let stuff go. There are certain things. Now, I don't say let everything go. You know, in, in, our, in our dating courses, we teach people this thing called the 3% rule of dating, where it should be number one, and that is this. If you have deal killers in a relationship and that person has those deal killer characteristics and you stay with them, that's your bad. That is yeah. not their bad. You know, like if you date someone that drinks too much and you stay with them, that's your bad. You, you date someone who's an emotional spender and always in financial stress and you stay with them, that's your bad. So, you know, we teach people to look for the deal killers and before you commit to any kind of monogamous long-term relationship, make sure this partner doesn't have those deal killers. Because if they do, then the relationship is doomed from the start. Yeah. There, uh, there, see, now I call things, those, those are deal killers for sure. I call things like little boogers. Person has little boogers, you know, like little <laughs> things that, that are just like, you know, but they're like that, like the unneat type stuff that'd be like a, a booger about the person you know it's like okay that's something I can live yeah. with but it's you know something about it is just like a eh, yeah whatever so like uh like my husband hates absolutely hates washing pans I mean from the get-go he's like god I hate washing pans I'm like I don't care. I don't mind washing pans I hate taking out the yep. garbage uh, and so those are our little I call those like little boogers it's like you know this is just something and uh, and uh I just I don't like doing that you know, and, and he's right. like, I don't like that. So we just trade off those things. And, but I think, I think knowing that going in helps. Do you have anything that you recommend, like some questions that you recommend people like ask each other? Um, aside from, you know, like uh, I, I remember my, was it my, this is bad. Sorry. My first marriage or my second marriage. I'm not sure which one they, they were like, <laughs> okay, in order to get married by a, a pastor or a priest or whatever it was, you had to go to counseling with the church for like weeks on end. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. that's a lot. Um, but do you, let's scale that back a little bit. Do you have any kinds of questions that you seriously recommend people ask before they jump into marriage or jump into a serious relationship? Um, Boogers or no boogers or deal breakers? Do you have anything like that? I well, call them boogers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, go, let's go back to the 3% rule. When, when we yeah. created the 3% rule 30 years ago, it was really based on helping people to avoid divorce. That's what mm -hmm. it was based on. Um, because if you like, let, let's go through some of the deal killers. I'm just going to list a ton of them. As a matter of fact, when, when I, when I was on Jenny McCarthy last time, we got into some of these and she admitted her role in some of this stuff. So number one, never date someone for their potential to change. You either accept someone the way they are today or move on. Right. So, so like if they don't like again, dogs, they're never going to like dogs, right? Well, yeah, you know what? If, and, and if let's say you're a dog lover and you have three dogs 
and you're dating someone who hates dogs. Well, if I'm in your shoes, you know, if, if, if it's me and I have three dogs and someone I'm dating says, you know what, can you keep the dogs outside? I really hate dogs. No, but I have a nice pen for you outside. Exactly. <laughs> bye bye. You know? Next. Yeah. Yep. So, so Jenny, so Jenny and I were talking about this, and you know, so if someone has the potential, and she goes, "Oh my God, David, that is me." Before I met my husband Donnie, my whole string of relationships is that I would see the greatness in someone. I would date artists that were so talented and so lazy. I would date these guys that had these huge business dreams, but they had no ambition to follow through with them. And I loved dating people for their potential to be great. And what we say right now is that's one of the biggest fallouts that we have is dating someone for their potential to be someone different than they are. You know, if, if you're dating someone who smokes and you only want to be with a non-smoker, sorry, I'm going to be real, get out. And if they quit smoking, come back in. But, you know, like you got to use your brain a little bit. What about children? You know, if you have a really honest opinion about wanting children or not wanting children, you don't want to date someone who's on the fence or doesn't want them. That would be a deal killer. Religion, that could be a deal killer. How you spend money, that could be a deal killer. There there was a a cute story. A woman who was a a semi-professional salsa dancer contacts me, and and we did these interviews, or not interviews, sessions via Skype with her and her boyfriend. They had been together for a year and a half. She was madly in love. And you could tell just on Skype they were holding each other and they were adorable. He had said to her on the first date, she talked about, you know, tango for hours. And he listened, patiently listened, listened, listened. And he said, listen, I think it's awesome that you're in competitions and all that. I don't mind going once a month and watching you compete, but I'm never going to dance. So if you're looking for someone to dance with you, I'm not the right guy. And she made the fatal mistake, Elizabeth. And she said, oh, that's fun. And in the back of her mind, she was thinking she would be able to change it. So here we are. They've been together. They've created this great relationship. And she was so angry that he only came once a month to her competitions and that he never even would recreational dance with her. And he looked directly at me, and he said, David, on the first date, I told her all of this stuff was off limits. And I asked her if it was true, and she said yes. And I said, it's not him, it's you. So that relationship ended, you know, but but her heart was shattered because she didn't pay attention to the deal killers. Is that why online dating is so successful, because it matches people up to, like, the the – you know, deal killer match, you know, so you don't have the deal killers. Cause like for me, like for well, me, something like I, I can't stand motorcycles, ATVs, you know, that kind of stuff. I just can't stand it. I smoking. Nope. You know, I like, I, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, what would mine be? would be like, Nope. I hate drinking. Nope. I hate smoking. Nope. I hate motorcycles. <laughs> My list would be long. <laughs> like, it would be, it'd be like, that's pretty funny, actually, as you're going through this. I'm like, must love dogs, must love cats, must not smoke, must not, you know. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> is that how that works? Well, <laughs> well no. See, here's, th- th- this, is, this is where we get a chance to help so many people in the world of dating. Yeah. Online dating is more based on compatibility. 
than right. it is on what doesn't work. And so what we say to people is, listen, of course, common sense says you've got to be compatible in some big areas of life. But what's right. even more important than compatibility, Elizabeth, is the deal killers. Like, let me give you an example. You could have, uh, w- one of my clients out of Los Angeles, a stockbroker, she contacted me a year ago. She had this list of compatibilities, and she had never written down the deal killers. She falls deeply in love for this guy that has all of these traits that she loved. You know, he was athletic. He was in the gym six days a week. She trains hard. They train together. But there were three things that would never allow that relationship to blossom. So all she was doing was focusing on their compatibility. Right. And when I took her through our process with the deal killers and the 3% rule, she says, David, this is dead. This relationship is dead because he won't change the three things that I know I can't live with. And she what was were they? I'm dying to know. Um, well, one of them was is that he was careless with his money. Right. Um, he, he had never saved a penny. He lived high on the hog. You know, so that was something that, you know, roped her in because the first several dates, you know, they went to these very high-end restaurants, and then he took her to a trip to um, – uh, want the the oh my what's up in San Francisco where all the the vineyards the are. Napa yeah Napa yeah yeah Napa, Napa Valley and so you know he had wowed her and then of course they're in the gym working out together and she thinks this is it for life and then she finds out that you know the guy every place they go he's charging up more and more credit he doesn't have any good credit he's really right. struggling financially because he's out of control as a spender. And so as we worked together on that, you know, it was like a deal killer. And he and, and she even presented it. And here's something else I always tell couples. When I'm working with you, if you're in a relationship that's really struggling and you find out, oh, my God, this person has all these deal killers, we always propose to the partner that they would like to stay in the relationship if, you know, this person would get, you know, into financial counseling or this person would get into addiction counseling or this person, whatever, and give them a chance to turn it around. Right. If they, if they choose not to, then you got to pull the plug. She eventually did. But here's the bad news, Elizabeth, because we've been trained in society to only look or mainly look for compatibility features, and we haven't been trained to look for the things that don't work, that's why so many couples get together and are frustrated because they've only looked at what they match with this person, not the things that push them apart. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I know in our relationship, we have a, a, a money rule actually, because we, we both knew that it's like one of the things that pe- one of the huge reasons why people get divorced or relationships don't work out is money. And so from the get go, we've had a rule that says if you're going to spend more than $350 on something, you have to get the other person's approval. Right. Perfect. Uh, I mean, we just – and uh, don't ignore the – for everybody listening, just ignore the warnings that the show is going to um, cut off because we're just taping now. So um, we always have free replays. The link works, all that good stuff. And if you want to call us, you can ask a question. If you want to, it's 714 and uh, press one, and it'll put you in the queue to talk to us if you want to. Uh, otherwise, we're recording now. So well, do you have time to keep going? We're chatting. Oh, heck yeah. We're an hour already. Do you need to go? Are you good? <laughs> I'm good, Elizabeth, yes. All right. Um, 
But what do you think of that? Like, um, what do you think of rules? Well, I think that they're they're incredibly important. You know, it's the same thing. There was a, a couple that I was working with, and, and alcohol came up, especially when they're out socially. And so the wife came to me and said, hey, listen, you know, I love this guy. We've been together 10 years. I don't want to divorce him. But when we go out with friends, even if it's once every couple of weeks, he drinks too much. If we go to a wedding, forget about it. So she brought him in, and we created a contract. And in the contract, it stated that, you know, when they're out with friends, that he had a maximum three-drink limit, same thing if he was at a wedding. And at first, he pushed back really hard, Elizabeth. Oh, my God. Like, it was going to end everything. <laughs> and then he realized when, when – and I said to her, I said, you know, right about the last four or five times where drinking got him in trouble, and she did, and she handed it to him, and he couldn't refute it. Once he saw it on paper – he then slowly backed down on his anger, and then he eventually signed the contract, and they did great ever since. So if it's drinking, if it's money, or whatever it might be, yeah, I think it's important to have rules. What do you think about these people who might be listening to the show who said, oh, God, all this crap. You know, if you were really in love, you wouldn't have all this crap. Love is supposed to be seamless. There's no rules. There's no boogers. There's no, I keep using that, sorry, compatibility. There's no deal breakers. Love is love. And if you're in love, you're in love. And you shouldn't have all this stuff. Well, you know, what we say, and I have many, several videos on YouTube, love is never enough is the title of a couple of them. And it's true. You know, like going back to the girl that, you know, loved her, her man more than she had, she had ever loved anyone else, and she was at a freaking tree. Right. Um, love isn't enough. You know, what's more important than love is honesty. If I'm going to rank the most important traits of a long-term relationship, number one is honesty. Without that, to me, you don't have squat. Right. So, yeah, you've got to love them, but that's not going to carry a relationship. You can love someone. And if that person is not honest, or if you're not honest, shoot, all the love in the world can't make up for a dishonest, a dishonest union. Right. Yeah. And I think another really important thing is the ability to maneuver through things. I think people uh, give up at the slightest problem sometimes and can't get through Things And I think the, that ability to communicate and maneuver through things, because um, especially being married for like, you know, let's go 20 years, you know, with four, four kids going from babies to college now, you know, we had one little boy who was very sick when he was born um, and for three years, you know, so the ability to, to maneuver um, is, to me is very important. Um, and it's, I don't know how to even teach that really. It's it like, I wouldn't know how to like articulate what we do to maneuver. It's probably, I'm going to ask my husband on that one. Like, how do we maneuver through things? Cause we maneuver through things beautifully. Cause not everything's perfect all the time. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, we're duking it out fighting like that. No, I just mean like you get, you get things that get thrown your way that you get to deal with through the course of your life. Maybe a sickness, maybe right. a parent sick or you know, whatever it is. And you're, you're dealing with it. There are, there are some <laughs> couples. Yep. Go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say oh. like things that tax the relationship that are, are not intended. You didn't plan for it. Right. I, I think there are some couples that have <laughs> natural ability to communicate verbally or non-verbally. 
that the union is more important than the individual. Mm. And I'm going to repeat that because this is something we teach in our counseling work. When couples realize that the union is the pinnacle, the marriage or the commitment of the relationship is the pinnacle, we've got it. Then the secondary thought has got to be this union, you and I staying together, you and I working together, you and I compromising is the most important thing, which means sometimes my needs won't get met and sometimes right. your needs won't. And, and you know, there, there's a couple, oh, my God, that I just, I'm, I'm just finishing up working with. I've been with them over a year now. They've gone through so much hell with each other. And about four months ago, I in, instituted this whole paradigm with them about, you know, the union is above you guys. You know, like, there's the union above your head, and one string attaches to him and one string attaches to her. And if you guys can think that that union is more important than your pettiness, than your need to be right, than your need to have things your way, and at first they didn't get it, only because they were so ensconced in their old pattern right. of relationship, which is filled with chaos and drama. The last couple months, oh, my God, I didn't even know if they were going to make it, quite frankly. And the last couple months when they used this mantra, the union is more important than our individual needs, they have pulled it together and they're freaking rocking, Elizabeth. <laughs> you know, so giggling. I'm glad for that, too, by the way. Congratulations if you're listening, too. Um, that's awesome. And I, I was uh, the reason why I was giggling is because when you say the need to be right, that is a funny thing, you know. In a, in a marriage, that comes up a lot. Like, And when you're married for a really long time, it's like, you know, today's your day to be right. You go for it, buddy, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's just, you, you don't want to turn it into a doormat, but, you know, the right. need to be right sort of this is like whatever. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, it, it, whereas, mm. like, maybe in the beginning in the relationship, you're figuring out, you know, okay, she really needs to be right right now. And I really need to be right right now. And we're going to, you know, th- you know, those first, some of those first fights you have when you're together trying to figure out, you know, what's going on is pretty funny. Right. Yeah. And it, it's not a, it's not a tired worn need to be right. It's just sort of a respect. It's like, and sometimes, you know, the other thing that happens is people really are right and you need to listen. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm like, I kind I kind of have learned to respect my husband in the fact that of the two of us, I mean, this honestly, he's usually right. I listen to him. I'm like, hey, you know what? I trust your, and he trusts my instinct more. Like right. I have a real instinct for people. I'm like, ooh, I have, I, I have a way better instinct for, for people, for, I don't know, for people than he does. When I meet you in person, I like, no, you know, kind of thing. And he does not have right. that. Um, but yeah. other things, he's just usually right. So we know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and that's kind of cool too. It makes it it makes it really neat if you really get down in there and pay attention to somebody else and understand what's cool about them and what's flawed, um, and you can respect both. It's kind of interesting. Yes. Oh, it's beautiful. And you know, you you said something really fascinating when. When we as a, a partner can get humble enough to say, wow, my partner is often right with A, B, C, and D, and E, you know you've got a pretty damn good relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it turns out to be a lot of fun, actually. It's like, oh, this is cool. And, um, and yeah. 
Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 neat. You can you can really learn a lot from each other. I remember when I first met him, I was just really in a sucky place. I'm like, I just I suck right now, and I, I don't know why. But I, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I suck right now. And he's like, that's all right, we'll figure it out, you know, kind of thing. And and he said Kazen, and I'm like, that's an interesting word. I have no idea what that means. And um, he's like, gradual improvement. I'm like. Well, that's an interesting concept that I know nothing about. <laughs> you know, I just like to suck wind here, apparently. You know, I was really coming out of a, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I was, I was a little beat up, you know, not in a literal sense, but just in a, you know, just a general sense of I was pretty tuckered right. out from a previous relationship. And in hindsight, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't heal from that before I went into the new one, but we dealt with it fine. Um, but, uh, you know, just, you learn as you go. And if you're open to it, it's, it's fun. Um, minus what you're saying, you know, some of the, the total complete deal breakers, you know, that's not fun to be, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things there. So, but yeah. Um, okay. What else do you want to talk about? So we've been on the show for like an hour. There's so much stuff that we can ask you. Um, tell, do me a favor. Um, talk about codependent people. What in the heck does that mean? People who are codependent learn traits from their family, who and how, and what's codependent mean? That's a scary so, word. It's like, what is that? I asked you that oh once before. Oh, God. Yeah, Elizabeth, in, in 2002, in our addiction recovery work, we came to the understanding that codependency in relationships is by far the largest addiction in the world. It's so big, nasty, it's huge, it's insidious, all of us pretty much struggle with it at one point in time or another. And there's about a thousand spokes to the wheel of codependency. But let me, let me make some really general statements to try to help people to get it. When we are codependent in a relationship, we are dependent upon that other person to fill roles in our life that may not be healthy. We are codependent with, to have them in our lives. So even if the relationship sucks, we stay because we don't want to be alone. Codependent people are either the saviors, the white knight, the white princess. You know, Jenny McCarthy said that she used to always date guys for their potential. So she was be, basically being the well-known white knight. You know, I'm going to ride into my horse and I'm going to pick you up and save you. Guys, a lot of times, love to date women who are struggling. They're going to show them how to be financially okay. They're going to show them what it means to be loved. Women will pick the bad boys, the guys that aren't emotionally available, and they'll say the only reason he's got that edge is because he's never been loved the way I can love. Yikes. So he's got all these – what's that? I said yikes. <laughs> I know, I know, right? So we've got this one whole side of codependency where it's people looking to save and heal and all this other kind of stuff. Then we have this other side of codependency where it's the victims, you know, like life is never fair. Um, these individuals are very afraid to speak honestly. They don't want to rock the boat. So they'll be in a relationship and someone will say, oh, just like, I'll, I'll give you an example of an independent person. Going back to the story I told you about the, the tango dancer, her boyfriend was incredibly independent. He was saying, you know what, from the beginning, girl, I think you're hot. I could really fall for you, but I'm never dancing with you. He was being the codependent saying, oh, you know what? I can get him to change. And once he sees what it's like me at a competition, he'll want to change. 
So she was saying, oh, okay, that's not a problem that you don't like to dance. But inside, it was a big problem. So she was being codependent, not speaking openly and honestly, truthfully, in order to wrestle him into her life. And then it falls apart. Right. So the codependent person craves affection, fears rejection, will do and say things to keep people with them because they don't want to be alone. Oh, my God. Like, I've just gone a full circle around the world of codependency. You know, the healers and the victims, the people who are not truthful and not honest. No, it doesn't bother me if you have that many drinks on a Friday. I know you're tired and you just want to relax and you've had a rough week. When inside they're going, this sucks. Receiving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? So, no, yeah. so that's kind of just the beginning well, of a description of codependency. So does every is there a healthy level of that anywhere? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of that going, well, you know, there's some of that in a way that sounds, I don't know, is there any healthy version of that? Like when you're when you're married for so long and – you know, the right hand knows what the left hand's doing and it just is, or is it all of that unhealthy? Well, you have to look at it from the point of view of honesty. Yeah. And so, so let's say that you, you, you guys are going up to dinner, you and your husband are going up to dinner and you went and bought this dress and you are just not so over it. And you look, you come down and you go, Oh my God, I've looked for six months for this dress. And isn't it stunning? And isn't it gorgeous? Now, a smart husband will say yes. <laughs> I was like, boy, you threw out the fishing rod with a big lure on that one. It's like, <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. Now, Keep going. But, yeah. But, yeah, let me, let me tell you where it gets codependent. So, you know, oh. in something like that, your, your partner's all excited. And, and um, you know, you may not think it looks all that great, but hell, you know what? If she or he thinks it looks great, let's just go for the ride. There's no reason to say no. There's no reason to say, I, I don't like it. <laughs> if everything happened that happens in your relationship, you find yourself agreeing when you don't, then that's codependency. Got if it. it. See, now, <laughs> i got to yeah, tell you something. Oh, <laughs> Wait, go ahead. Sorry, I'm laughing. Elizabeth, you know, if, if it's something that happens from time to time, that's just a healthy relationship. Got it. Okay. If if you're not being honest on a regular basis so that your partner doesn't get upset, that's codependency. <laughs> I got to tell you something. So I have a, I have a running joke with, with pants, like yoga pants. Like I hate them. I just don't, <laughs> my body, I'm an old gymnast. My thighs are a little bit muscular. I just hate yoga pants. They don't, they're not good on me. And so I, but I'll wear them around the house or whatever, long shirt on or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, I, for some reason today I had on, my yoga pants they were loose they were whatever they were and a t-shirt and and tennis shoes and I was doing yard work or whatever and I needed to run to the store and I turned around and I'm like do these make my ass look fat like should I go out of the house in these and he goes I definitely would not do that <laughs> I was epic I'm like seriously because if you if you if you if you have to ask, you know the answer. Don't you know that by now? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, so funny. that's where I wish I had Jenny McCarthy's body. You know, you're just like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be tall and totally skinny and 
you know, everything, oh, you know, but you're like, yeah, no, but you know, you, you, it was hilarious. And, and he, and he knows he can, I'm not going to go cry or anything like that, but it's, right. it's absolutely funny. And I went, I'm like, and I came down in my, in my jeans is like a thousand percent better. And, you know, put together, <laughs> put together, you know, you did your hair and makeup yeah. while you were up there too, you know, it was hilarious <laughs> though. But what do you, now, what do you think of that? Well, see, I think that's brilliant. And here's the trouble. So for, for all of our single people that, you know, are looking to get into a relationship, start out from the beginning being honest 95% of the time. If, you know, if, <laughs> if time you're going to throw the person a bone, go ahead and do it. But where we get in trouble in relationships is when everyone in the beginning says, oh, God, that's awesome. That sounds like a fun concert. You know, that fun, and when, when actuality they're thinking, oh, God, not another one of those. That's where you get into trouble. But if you're honest, see, your husband can be honest with you and you don't take it personally. Right. Because you, you know you guys have been together long enough. You know that he has your best interests in heart, right? Totally. So yep. he's not going to bullshit you to make you feel better if, if he doesn't really believe it. And that's one of the things that a lot of people need to learn to be more like Elizabeth you know, when, when it's not a real deal killer and you want, and someone says, oh, my God, don't you love this? It could be a song on the radio. It could be, you know, a, a piece of art. It's not right. a big deal to say, oh, I am so happy that turns you on. That is awesome. Yeah. But you just can't do it all the time. Yeah. The only time he lies to me and totally BSs me is when I look like total hell and I'm sick. And he's like, oh, he's still so pretty. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> because Aww. Yeah, exactly. Job. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you got more, do you have more time? Because I am very curious about um, your. I still. I think people listening need to understand your law of attraction beliefs. I I know that we talked about it on our show before, but before we go, I think it's always really important for you to talk about that because you and I are action people. Yeah. Well, and 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 I'm going to describe what happened in my life, and 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 I also tell people this. In order to really understand the philosophy, get chapter one of our number one best-selling book on positive thinking for free at talkdavid.com. I'm going to lead off with that. But just if you read chapter one, you'll know exactly everything that's honest and not honest about the secret and the law of attraction and all those things. So, you know, in, in 1996, Elizabeth, up until 1996, I was one of those people, and you know, I spoke all over the world as a motivational speaker, mm-hmm. standing on in front of 5,000 people, the largest audience I ever spoke to was 5,000, saying, whatever you believe you can achieve, and the audience would scream back, and it was, you know, all fine and fun games um, until 1996, and in 1996, I had this major awakening, and how it came about was, um, for 25 years, I had used law of attraction principles affirmations in the morning and I would get up and I would say with emotion and with tons of energy, I'm a child of God, happy, healthy, and sober today. And then for 25 plus years, every night I would start drinking at eight o'clock. And for 20 years, when I woke up, I felt invincible. This is the day I'm sober. I'm going to do it. And every night I would drink. So in 1996, I had this most amazing turnaround interview with the founder of Transcendental Meditation. His name is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi has since passed away. But during the interview, this most incredible thing happened. 
and I found that I was not living in joy. He opened up this gateway into my heart and soul, and without even me saying to him that I had any addictions going on at all, he basically called me out in the most loving, beautiful way, and this is what I realized, that my affirmations of stating something that was not true, now fill in the blank. You could say, I am in a beautiful love relationship with the man or woman of my dreams. I am earning a million dollars a year. I live on the beach and blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff, for the most part, keeps us stuck. And my example was classic. Because I felt good every morning saying I was sober, it gave me the illusion that I was. The reality is I should have got up every day and said, I'm a child of God. I'm struggling, and I'm an alcoholic. That is the reality. So in 1996, I dropped everything. I changed my complete way of counseling, coaching, speaking, working. Everything changed. And then the secret came out in around 2006 or 2007. And for a couple months, I am going, oh, my God, maybe I'm wrong. Look at the millions of people that have purchased this book and the law of attraction and all this stuff, and look at They're putting pictures of million-dollar homes on vision boards, and five years later, the guy's moving into it. Someone else is talking about love, and they have a picture of their lover, and they're running into them. And for a short period of time, I was really questioning, you know, was I on the right path? Could all these other people be wrong? And then after, I don't know, probably six or eight months of the secret coming out, I said, "Uh uh-uh, this is a bunch of crap. 80% of what they're teaching us is fabricated lies. And I'm going to be very serious about this right now because we need to know the reality of success, which is why we wrote the book. The reality of success is, Elizabeth, unless it's a freaking miracle, there's no one attracting million-dollar salaries, a perfect body, or their lover via affirmations, vision board, visualization, or anything else. The people who achieve greatness in life, athletes like your son, major players in in sports, uh, individuals in the work of music, it's because they work their damn butts off. Butts off. It is. It is. Because they're willing to do what the rest of us lazy little people don't want to do. So listen to this. In our book on positive thinking, we even say – Why the secret and the law of attraction are so popular? Because they tap into something that we defined in 1996 as human nature. And the definition of human nature is our desire to get the most out of life with minimal effort. The secret, the law of attraction, and all those, quote, well-meaning books that are very entertaining, very fun to read. I won't take that Mm -hmm. away from them but they all tap into human nature. How can I get the most out of life without doing a damn thing uncomfortable? Because if you're going to create a vision board and it's going to come true, what could be easier than that? There's no effort. There's no risk. There's no rejection. So when we came out with the book, Elizabeth, you know, I I finally had gotten sick and tired of clients coming to me and say, would you teach me the newest way to – you know, make a vision board, and would you teach me the, the best, strongest affirmations to become a millionaire? And I said, enough already. Do you know what word and I hate wrote, more than anything? Yeah. Manifest. Manifestation. I freaking hate <laughs> that word. 
I'm sorry. sorry. I hate that word. I just did that, didn't I? Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, I hate that word. I'm like, what in the heck are you mad at? I don't get it. It's like, are you going to lay an egg? I mean, uh, that's action. <laughs> I, can't, I just well, can't figure out that word. I hate that word. I don't know why. And I never say hate, but there's two words I hate, actually, obviously and manifest. Well, I obviously won't manifest anything on this show. Okay? <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is so funny. Is that, bad to, is that bad to hate that word so much? No. And the reason why, it's because it's wrapped up in illusion. That's why you hate it so much, because you know it's not true. When people say, you know, like, you know, it's still on social media. Oh, my God. <laughs> I manifested a million dollars. You did what? <laughs> oh, you know, oh. it's right. Hey. I don't know if you saw this recently on on social media, but Jim Carrey has come out explaining the $10 million check theory. Have you seen that? I haven't. Oh, this is classic. Well, you know, you know, one of the things that Oprah and all these other people love is having Jim Carrey on the show saying, oh, I wrote this check for $10 million. I put it in my wallet and it came to be true. Yeah. Everyone's got their check for $10 million on their stupid vision boards and everything else. And I say stupid vision boards. Hey, if you want to make one, make it. I say affirmations every morning. I love this stuff, but I just don't count on it to do anything other than make me feel good in the moment. Right. But what Jim, Jim Carrey came out recently and said, hey, listen, guys, everyone's taking this $10 million check story way too far. The truth is, if I would have written a check to myself for $10 million, and put it in my wallet, and hung out on the beach, I would never have made a freaking penny. The <laughs> reason I made a $10 million check was because I did what no other actor and actress wanted to do, which is everything in the world. I did anything they told me to. I worked odd jobs. I did it all to, before I got that check. So he's finally come out to clear up the air, which is so good saying that, you know, if you, like, you know, we, we have people in the book we talk about that lost 130 pounds 17 years ago. They've never put it back on. That woman struggled for 33 years with 130 pounds of excess weight until she got uncomfortable through our program, did everything we asked of her, and then, quote, unquote, a miracle happened. You know, and we have stories and there are people that were homeless that became millionaires, I mean, even Joe Vitale, Dr. Joe Vitale from The Secret. Elizabeth, when I had him on the show and I was asking him about, you know, in The Secret, you supposedly, through the law of attraction, Joe, you went from homeless to millionaire. Tell me how that works. And he started laughing. You know, Elizabeth, he starts laughing. He goes, well, you know, David, it really wasn't just my thought process. I said, you're kidding me, Joe. <laughs> he said, yeah, thanks. I go, what? Yeah, I go, why don't you tell us the true story that's not in the book? And he did. He was homeless. He did say affirmations every day. But then he worked 14-hour days, seven days a week for years to make his first million dollars. Exactly. And so, you know, my, my um, assertive take on the secret and the law of attraction is well-founded because in 27 years of interviewing Deepak and the late Wayne Dyer and Susie Orman, the financial guru, you know what, Elizabeth, no one in 10, 27 years ever said to me that they created their amazing success or their amazing relationships 
or their freedom from addiction by using affirmations or vision boards or anything else. They all work their tails off. Yeah. I I have a thing. Instead of calling anything a vision board, I call it an action board. And mine is words and goals. Never yeah. pictures. Perfect. Yeah, if I'm going to do something like that, if I've got a goal I I need to meet, it's here's the goal and here are the 10 actions that I'm going to do. I, I don't do well, those vision things. Unless I find something like inspiring, like maybe a picture that supports the overall goal and the 10 action steps or whatever it is, like, you know, something like that, I might tack on a picture, but I never just pictures. Well, that doesn't work for me. I've tried it and it didn't well, work. And you know what I say to people, what I mentioned a minute ago, build the vision board, you know, like say your affirmations, do everything. I still in the morning, I spend my first hour, prayer, meditation, gratitude, Mm -hmm. journaling, uh, visualization, affirmations, the first 60 minutes of every day is spent immersed in that. And then I let it go and I go and do what most people don't want to do. And that's why we continue to be successful. Yeah. What um, tie this back into relationships for me, as far as the actions you can take for the you know to help it, uh, whatever you want to do in your relationships. Um, tie tie that back into me so we can come back to that and, and kind of close out the show so so you're not here another yeah. hour. <laughs> Although I love you. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. So all right, you know what we always say in relationships is if you're struggling. Let's focus on the struggle and not just what's going well. So many of us, we want to put our head in the sand and not want to bring up the money issues again or not want to bring up the drinking again or the different parenting skills. We've tried it before. We can't get through to our partner. So we say, number one, write down what is not working in your relationship. Just in general, we struggle over kids. We struggle with money. We struggle with drinking, whatever it might be. Number one. Number two, write down your role in the dysfunction. Everyone has a role. I don't care if it's the other person that's drinking. If you've been with them for 10 years, your role then is that you've been the enabler for 10 years, and that's just as bad as the drinker. And that's something that people, you know, when we talk about codependency, so if you're in a crappy relationship and and you've struggled with money for the whole time you've been together or drinks or whatever it is, the person who's the spender or the drinker is only half the problem. The fact that you've never gone for outside help, you've never put your foot down, you've never held boundaries and consequences says that's your role. And, and then the third step is if you've been together for more than a couple months and you haven't been able to figure out the, the issues, you're not going to do it on your own. Get a minister, a priest, a counselor, a coach, but don't think if you've been together more than a few months and you've got issues, don't think you're going to fix them on your own. Go get help. Smart. Smart advice for sure. Um, Okay, so we're going to wind down. It's been super fun having you on the show. Super, um, that's just, it's wonderful wisdom. Thank you. I, I just love having you on the show. Uh, articulate you, and, and and af- actually helpful. So thank you for that. Um, I think people can take a show and 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 take action for real. It's not just a bunch yeah. of you know words. Um, really, actually helpful. If you listen, you guys, if you're going to play this back or share the show or whatever you're going to do with the show, um, there's 
if I've got three pages of notes. So if I've got three pages of notes, that means there's action here that you can take to make your life better. And I love that. So that best ever use stuff, it's all right here. Um, and then on David's website. So go to talkdavid.com or davidessel.com. There's a video boost. Um, uh, do you, before we go, can you just tell people about your video boost and how people can reach you um, other than your website yeah. or, or through your websites? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the, the best way to reach us is through the website, just talkdavid.com, and then the contact us button, they can send us an email. That's the, the easiest. <clears throat> so we created uh, months ago David Essel's Daily Video Boost, and we did it because, Elizabeth, there were so many people that said, I just need a push every day. I just need someone in my head saying, you can do it, do this, do that. So David Essel's Daily Video Boost, B-O-O-S-T, is an online video community that when you join at talkdavid.com every Monday through Friday at 4 a.m. Eastern time, in your email box, we'll be waiting the video of the day. They're like three to four minutes long. It might be tips from interviews I've done with Deepak or Don Miguel Ruiz or Jenny, or Jenny McCarthy, like, I use all of this stuff that I've been doing for, oh, my God, forever. And, and we say, let's give these people, all of our listeners who join the video community, let's give them an inspirational lift every day. And it's gone crazy. I mean, we've got people from Australia, Germany, London, of course, all across the U.S., Mexico, South America now. Hmm. So it's so so neat, Elizabeth, to know that we can help people with a three- to four-minute video every morning make their day better. So I encourage people to go to talkdavid.com, join the video boost. You will be happy. Now, that takes some consistency and dedication on your part to do that every day, doesn't it? Oh, it's, you know, when, when and I say what this is- because I, I'll say this to everyone. People like you and me who are working really hard to make a difference in this world are usually doing things that individuals who are wishing they had a better life won't do. You know, I, I've been in this, you know, as, as I said, 37 years now. I started in 1980, 37 years. And, I mean, I love it, Elizabeth, just like you love your work. I, I don't look at it as work, but it is a lot of effort for us to yeah. put together these days a week videos from, you know, we've got 10 or oh, nine books, another one coming out soon. Um, you know, plus a full counseling coaching schedule. We are doing what we're encouraging everyone to do. And that's the pathway to success, whether it's losing weight, making money, finding, keeping love, getting free of an addiction. It's all the same. It's, it's effort plus attitude. I love it. So I think we should do next show on Parenting. What do you think about that? Oh, I love it. Oh, I You want to do that? that? Can you tackle parenting yeah. with me? Okay. Oh. All right. We're doing a parenting it's, show because it all ties together. All the, you know, it, it, once you learn this set of skills, it applies to all the areas of your life. People, don't, I don't know if people know that I, you know, it changes slightly depending on what's going on, but th- there's a certain skill set you're teaching here that applies. And so you can change the title up and talk about the same thing. And people go, oh, let's talk about parenting. And you learn what you're talking about and how it applies to parenting next. So what do you think? I, Elizabeth, sign me up, love. Okay. 
So we got to think about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I love oh, we, parenting. It's cool. No. You you know what's great about you and I? We don't have to think about it at all. It's I know we don't, effort. but, yeah, I hear you. Um, all right, it has been a joy to have you on. Much love. Um, you always promise me that you're going to hug your parents for me, so we got to do that. I love your parents. Yes. Oh, thank <laughs> so you. Talk about a fun relationship. We didn't. We should have interviewed your parents. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? I'm gonna. I think tonight or tomorrow, I'm gonna post a new picture of my dad. Um, he's had some health challenges, but he's bouncing back. And good. And it, it's just adorable. They are just. I'm. I can't believe they're still with me. I'm really lucky. How old are they? Uh, dad is ninety, and mom's eighty-nine. That's awesome. Yeah. My parents yeah. are coming out to visit for my son's graduation. We're, my dad's a stroke survivor. You know that. And um, he yeah. doesn't have clearance, clearance quite to fly, but he's doing it anyway. Um, so, oh, yeah, um, he's determined. I told you, he's the mm-hmm. ICU warrior. You know, he's going to get on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they're oh, all go out here on the 30th. But, yeah, I'm excited to, to – I was just out there, but my my dad's – my dad is threatening to get on the airplane, so he's, he's the warrior, I'm telling you. The warrior right yeah. there. It's amazing. He so, is. Anyway. Holy cow. Yeah, he is. So, all right. Lots of love. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Elizabeth. Anything else? Did we miss anything? Bye, bye. Or are we good? We good? No, we are great. Okay. Yes. Except this, for the fact that I said friggin' on the radio, but I just said it again. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, whatever. All right. Love you guys. Love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope this show reaches somebody and changes a life because it's uh, super great information. And David Essel is always a wonderful guest. So davidessel.com, D-A-V-I-D-E-S-S-E-L.com or talkdavid.com. Always a joy, David. Thank you. Enjoy your night. Enjoy your week. All the good stuff. And we'll talk again soon. Okay. Bye, Elizabeth. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.